Good morning. If you've uh, been paying attention to the bulletin at all, <clears throat> I was supposed to speak on the Holy Spirit today. And I'm not going to try to be super spiritual here and say the Spirit forbade me, but I'll tell you this, it just wouldn't come together. I tried. And I, uh, on Wednesday, I got a little panicky because it just wasn't coming together. So I just took that as some divine guidance, I guess, or human frailty, whatever. And I thought, I, I just can't, it's, it's just not right, the right message. So what is the right message? Come on, Lord, Sunday's coming. <laughs> like a guy told me, if the Lord doesn't lay something on my heart by Friday, I lay it on my own heart. I didn't want to do that. I just kept praying about it. And, I, and it dawned on me, you know, we're going into marriage month. And uh, the men's retreat is also this month. So some of the guys won't be here for four messages on marriage. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to do a kind of a pregame warm-up for this whole marriage month and preach on, on marriage. And what better passage to choose in Ephesians chapter 5 which is probably the quintessential passage on marriage in the entire New Testament. So that's what we're doing. So you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to talk about life with a wife. A lot of our comments today are directed at the men, uh, but uh, the women are certainly included, because marriage is never a single affair. It's two people committing themselves together for life. Some time ago... <clears throat> Stuart Briscoe, who's a, who's a mentor of mine, if you don't know Stuart Briscoe, he's probably more, uh, better known on the mission field than he is in the States, but he, was a man, he is a man who was with Torchbearers years ago, a British organization. He is from Great Britain. And um, he took a pastorate of a little church, about 500 people, near Waukesha, Wisconsin. And that church grew to about 9,000 and he's a world traveler. He's, uh, I just marvel at his wisdom. And I marvel at his wit. And I marvel at his ability to size up a situation and speak directly to it precisely. One day, there was a man at Elmbrook Church, the name of the church that he pastored. And this guy had read Stewart's books. He had heard Stewart's tapes. He probably had seen him elsewhere loved his ministry, but he'd never met him. And he was visiting in Waukesha this one weekend and went to Elmbrook Church, and he had his opportunity to meet Stuart Briscoe. And at the welcome wagon and their foyer of their church, after the service, Stuart was there greeting people. And this guy was so bound to meet Stuart that he actually pushed his way through the crowd, and in the process, he pushed his own wife out of the way. And about halfway through making his introduction to Stuart, he said to Stuart, Oh, 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 I'm sorry, this is my wife. To which Stuart responded, I know. I could tell by the way you were treating her. Did I tell you he was, had a precise ability to size up the situation? Ouch. I could tell by the way you were treating her. Isn't it true, guys, that we at times mistreat our spouses? We don't need a raise of hands here. That would be far too revealing. But isn't it true? Back in 1944, 
The Mills Brother Quartet sang a song, You Only Hurt the One You Love, the One You Shouldn't Hurt at All. Isn't it true that in our times of negligence, we inflict harm into our marriage? There's a saying that goes something like this, most girls marry fellows like their fathers. That's the reason most mothers cry at the wedding. Another saying, it's on your worship out folder, on your, on your outline. The best thing, guys, you can do for your children is to love their mother. We all have those experiences that we'd rather not talk about, we're rather embarrassed over, how we've mistreated our spouse. Sometimes just taking them for granted. Ephesians 5 speaks to this, and much more, for that matter. And when we look at Ephesians 5 we see that there are commitments that we're to make in marriage. And we need to pinch ourselves once in a while and see if we're honoring our commitment. There are three commitments particularly. We're going to pay most attention to the first one today. The other two are important, but they almost come as footnotes, amplifying and edifying the, the first uh, on, on the list. We must commit ourselves, guys and gals, in marriage to selflessness. Selflessness. You know, I think it might be a good idea for us to read the whole passage, and then I'll come back and we'll pick up right there, okay? Let's let it stand for itself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Marriage calls for commitment. The first commitment of which we speak today is this commitment of selflessness. Let me point out, what is the wife supposed to do? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What's the husband supposed to do? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Two words, very operative words. The word love, the word submit. She's to submit, he's to love. They're not synonyms, but they say the same thing. Submit means to give yourself up to someone. Love means the same thing. They have a lot in common. So we're talking about a selfless self-giving here. And how self-giving is this love to be? 
Two helpful comparisons are given in the text. We should compare our love for our wives as Christ's love for the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now this is a tall, tall order, especially when you consider the fact that there are a lot of people who enter marriage with low self-esteem. And such people are often very self-centered because of that. And you can just see what a tall order this is. And if you come with, to, mar- to marriage with that in your baggage, with your baggage like that, with baggage like that, let me say it right, you have a tall order in front of you. The husband's role is far more than to be an authority or a dictator. I'll break her will. It's to take care. It's to take responsibility. How may I serve her? How may I care for her? How may I give security to her? That's what a wife is supposed to be able to submit herself to. An example of Christ is, the example of Christ is very significant here. We're to love our mates to an unselfish end. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Another way of saying it is sacrifice. The words are very specific. He gave himself up for her. Think about this. A literal self-giving. A spending of his literal self. It's not just an honorary position. Far more than that. Some years ago, we were in California visiting our daughter and her husband, and we decided to go to the Rose Bowl Parade. And we got up early in the morning, packed our gear, and drove down to Pasadena, found a place in the, standing along the side of the street to watch the parade go by, and the Grand Marshal, the Honorary Grand Marshal drove by. It was Cloris Leachman that year. Remember Cloris Leachman, the actress? And what did she do? To what degree did she invest herself as an Honorary Grand Marshal in the Rose Bowl Parade? She waved. That was it. She sat in a car, convertible, nice car, and she waved. She marshaled nothing. She did nothing. She was an honorary Grand Marshal. This year, the honorary Grand Marshal, I read, was Vin Scully, the legendary broadcaster from the L.A. Dodgers. What did he do? Well, he didn't do much. He marshaled nothing. He organized little. He waved. That's what honorary Grand Marshals do. do. His giving was not selfless. It was not active. It was not effective. It was honorary. What is a husband's giving to be? Anything but ordinary. Anything but honorary. As, what, as Jesus, he gave himself up. And listen, think about, think about this. He gave himself up for the church. We're to give ourselves up for our wives. Don't ask my wife how well I do this. This is a hard, tall order. But it's what we're prescribed. It's what we're to commit ourselves to. So, let's test ourselves. Guys, how long since we've acted toward our wife in a way which would directly benefit only her and not ourselves? Any takers for that one? Huh. Difficult, real difficult to think of how we do this. If we take our wife to dinner, we eat too, so we benefit. 
If we buy her a dress, we admire her in it, so we benefit. And we shouldn't exclude mutual enjoyment in marriage. It's a great thing. But we've got to make room for selflessness, too. How do we do this? Well, one thing we can do is to do what she wants, but we don't want to do. I can give you an illustration. I wish I could give you more than one. I think if I thought real, real hard, I might be able to. But here's one. My wife says to me some years ago, would you be willing, that's a tip off right there, (laughs) would you like to go (laughs) to hear the uh, St. Paul Chamber Orchestra? They're going to be playing at Wooddale. Well, immediately I jumped up and down and said, yippee, I can't wait, I want to go. Not quite. Now, had it been a full orchestra, I might have had a different attitude, but a chamber orchestra, oh, music to sleep by. And, um, but I, th- I was, evidently, I had made the mistake of reading this passage. And I said, yes, I'll go. And about a week after I said yes, I realized the national championship for Division I football was the same night. I'm from Ohio, and Ohio State was playing Texas. I checked the calendar and I thought, oh, I'm going to honor this. I'm going to do this with my wife and enjoy it. Well, at least I'm going to do this with my wife because it's something she wants to do. And, and I did. Now, I have to admit, at halftime, uh, intermission they call it. Uh, <laughs> I went looking for a radio. I was checking out the offices to see if anybody might have been working late and might have had a radio on or better yet a TV so I could check the score. Not so. But I did it. And fortunately for me, the game went into overtime and I got to see some of it when I got home. But anyway, that's what I'm talking about. Do we do things for our mate that are selfless? Or is it all about us? How often do we act toward our mate to benefit her and not just ourselves? It shouldn't be just a sampling in our marriage that we give our wives relative to this. It should be the standard operating procedure. She should know, our wife should know that she comes first on our priority list of human relationships. Another question we should ask ourselves is this, how significant are the things in which we show selflessness? I mean, going to a concert is one thing, but it's a relatively small thing. What about the biggies where we could sacrifice? Changing our work schedule, giving in to her choice in matters that matter. Loving her to an unselfish end. Let me tell you what women really need that we, we guys often don't give them very much of. Companionship. That's what they thought they were getting into when they married us. They didn't marry us so we could run off to a game or a meeting every other night. They married us so that we could have companionship. And that calls for sacrifice. But I'll guarantee you, have you sacrifice, you will get closer to one another. It's a worthwhile sacrifice. We're to love our wives selflessly. Now, we're also to love them with a magnificent, immediate objective. And I want you to notice Christ's objective for the church. Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the word, uh, by the washing with water through the word. The word here is sanctification. Jesus lived for the sanctification of the church, a change in status, a 
uh, where we're, we're reckoned by God as being set apart, a change in lifestyle which is seen in pure living. This is the result of having been cleansed as signified in baptism. Almost assuredly, that's what the reference here is too when it talks about being washed with the water with the, through the word. Notice, however, baptism signifies the change. It doesn't cause it. You're not saved through baptism. It signifies the change, but it doesn't affect it. So what's the correlation? Is it, he's talking about something else here now. He's talking about Jesus in the church. Well, what about me and my wife? How does it fit? How does it, how does it measure up? Well, these are primarily spiritual matters, right? Jesus affects sanctification. He affects cleansing. Is there a common denominator here with how a wife or a husband should influence his wife? Yes, there is. Listen. Jesus' objective is to this end, to make us better, to make a positive difference in our lives regarding the attitude and behavior we carry in life. Bingo. That's our role as husbands. We should love our wives to the point where we do something significant for them. We should live with an eye and a heart toward what is best for them, what will make them whole, what will make them complete. None of us can afford the attitude which says, I told you 25 years ago when I married you, I loved you, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. This is to be actively a part of our life. What will make them whole? What will make them complete? Well, companionship goes a long, long way toward that end. And I'll tell you something. The longer you're married, the easier it is to take your mate for granted. The chief enemy of marriage is boredom. And we've got to make sure we don't get bored with one another. We need to reinvent our commitment all the time. This wife had a dream. And in her dream, they were selling top-rated husbands. I mean, a top-rated, top-notch husband went for a million dollars. Then it went down from there. Like buying a car. If you didn't have all the bells and whistles, you might pay $700,000 for a husband. Went down to $10,000 for a husband. Her hus- and then she got up from, woke up the next morning from her dream, and she told her husband about her dream. And he got pretty intrigued. Well, he said, I probably wouldn't qualify to be a million-dollar husband, but probably a $900,000 husband, right? She said, oh, honey, she, said, she laughed. She said, you know, husbands like you, they were selling in bunches of 10 for a dollar. <laughs> husbands who do not have a solid, immediate objective to do what is best for their wives may be of the 10 for a dollar bunch. Is that where we want to be? Is that the variety we want to be? We're to love our wives with a magnificent, immediate objective, and that's to do all we can to help them be all they can, to be whole. We're also to love our wives with a magnificent, ultimate objective. Let me back up. I left something out. Let me give you a how-to relative to this last point. I've recommended this I can't even tell you how many times. I know I recommended it last summer when we were in Poland. And I recommended it to you because it was first recommended to Doris and myself. We've done this several times in our marriage. I've said it here before. It's pretty public knowledge, but we forget things, so let me repeat it. You know one of the best things you could do to help your marriage? 
get out a blank piece of paper and put this heading at the top. What I would like from you in our relationship. The husband does it and the wife does it. You work out a list. This is what I need from you. This is what I like from you in our relationship. Then you exchange your lists and you read your, each other's lists. You ask questions if there needs to be clarification. You even negotiate, perhaps, if there needs to be some negotiation. What do you mean you want to back rub every night? Not every night, maybe four nights a week. Okay, that's a good start. Exchange your lists. Put your list where you can see it and honor your mate. That's loving our wives and our mates with a magnificent immediate objective. Now let's get back to where I was going. We should love our wives with a magnificent ultimate objective as well. Look at verse 27. This is the ultimate objective. Jesus lived to present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without spot or wrinkle or without stain or blemish, depending on the translation you're using. He wanted a whole church, a sinless church. And it's interesting, he was going to present this church to himself. That always has struck me as odd. Jesus presents the church to himself. This is what the rapture is going to do. When he, Jesus presents the church to himself, and notice it's without spot or wrinkle. We used to sing a song years ago. Do you hear them coming, brother? Climbing up the steps of light, clad in glorious shining garments, blood-washed garments pure and white. It's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We won't make any recordings of this. That's what Jesus is going to do with the church. He's going to present it to himself, and it's going to be perfect. A husband's ultimate objective is to live and act with his wife in mind to the point that she is spiritually, physically, socially, psychologically sound. To be a major complement to her growth as a person. To be a part of her solutions in life and not a part of her problems in life. That's a tall, tall order. Now we've got to keep this in mind. This is not remaking our wives to suit us. That's selfish. This is investing ourselves in terms of what is best for them. That is selfless. None of us will do this very well, guys, but it ought to be our goal. We need to catch ourselves up short once in a while and remind ourselves that this indeed is our goal. And let me tell you what this requires. It requires a number of things, to be sure, but one of the things it requires is sensitivity. Sensitivity. I found this in a bulletin insert one time. Let me read it to you. It's good. A husband's love is not to be loud, demanding, or abrasive, this guy says. His name is Frank Siaka. He says, I was an analytical chemist for, for more than five years. My job required me to quickly, logically, and efficiently discover answers to problems. Now, that's a tremendous asset if you're a chemist. But it can be an awesome liability for a Christian husband. When my wife was ready to sell the kids to the gypsies or put the dog into the food processor, 
The answer man was there on the spot with a smorgasbord of palatable solutions to her problem. Time management, scheduling priorities, you name it. I had just what she needed, with one exception, sensitivity. She needed an ear, not a mouth. Probably no area in our marriage has been more difficult for me than that of learning to simply listen. Listen to my wife. I'm going to repeat that. Probably no area in our marriage has been so difficult for me as, to, as that of learning to simply listen to my wife. The more my uh, wife resisted my sage counsel, the more vocal I became, until my earnest desires to help deteriorated into a crushing harshness. Husbands, he quotes Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So we're to compare our love to Christ's love for the church. That's exactly what the text says. Where are we, guys? How are we doing? We're also to compare it, our love with how we love what is ours. Notice verse 28 and 29. Interesting statement. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we're members. Let's throw verse 30 in there too. For we are members of his body. Christ is head over the church. So the husband is head over the wife. She is seen as being part of his body. A testimony to two becoming one flesh. How do we love what is ours? How do we love what is part of us? Well, verse 29 suggests an answer. By feeding and caring for it, or in another translation, by nourishing it or cherishing it. Now, the word nourish is the word used in the context of educating. You'll find it in Ephesians 6.4, where, where we're told to bring up our children has the idea of nurturing or bringing them up. Suggest, this suggests something of a husband's role as a spiritual leader in the home, I think. It carries the idea of uh, uh, nurturing through informing them toward development and maturity. This is what we're to do. We're to care or cherish by the same, at the same time. Literally, the word cherish means to keep warm or to comfort. Listen to Paul as he writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2.7. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. So husbands protect, care for, nourish, cherish their wives as their own bodies. How does Christ love the church, his body? Same way. If you read the text there, it is. Same way for the same reason. Now, what follows in this text, as I mentioned before, at least the way we're treating it today, appears to be more, little more than footnotes to what we've already established, but it's very important. We should make a commitment to oneness. We make a commitment to selflessness. We make a commitment to oneness as well. What happens spiritually, a husband and wife becoming one body, is to be lived out 
practically. Look at verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they too will become one flesh. This is a vital unity. And it involves two actions, leaving and cleaving. We're to, leave the natural and ex uh, we're to leave our mother and father. That's the natural and expected behavior of a married couple. They set up their own housekeeping. And we're to cleave. We're to become one with our mate. Literally, the word means to be glued to, to stick to. Uh, I, I consider myself somewhat of a woodworker. Maybe not a good woodworker, but it's there for, for me to get into my wood shop and just make some things once in a while. And I found out that if you take two boards, especially two pine boards, and you glue them together, and that glue does its job, you cannot get them apart without destroying each of them. They'll never come clean at the seam. They'll always take part of the other with them. That's a picture of being glued together in marriage. That's a picture of what this means, to cleave to one another. And it leads to one result, one flesh. That is a bondedness, a unity which is illustrated by the physical sexual union, but is far more than something that's just physical. It's a spiritual union. It has to do with things beyond the physical. It deals with the soulish part of us. It's seen in, in an exclusive relationship. This is why sexual activity outside of marriage is so wrong, because it's not seen as an exclusive relationship. It can't illustrate what, it's meant, what marriage is meant to be. It carries no promise of or commitment to exclusiveness or endurance. So it's a spiritual union. Secondly, the, marriage person, uh, the married person doesn't lose his or herself. They don't, you don't lose your personality when you're married. You don't lose your identity. But you take on a new identity. Greater than that of only yourself. So we're to commit ourselves to this kind of oneness. And we're to commit ourselves also to obedience. Now I want to paraphrase verse 32 and verse 33 because I think um, we can make short work of this. And it'll, I can give you the essence of it in just a paraphrased paragraph. Here's what I think verse 32 and 33 say. Let me, let me, let's read it first of all. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, of this whole thing. Christ in the church and marriage. I'm talking about Christ in the church, he says. This is a profound mystery. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's what I think he's saying. Let me paraphrase it. This thing of marriage contains truth which goes beyond the surface. But I'm treating the man as symbolic of Christ and the woman as symbolic of the church. Nevertheless, right now, the practical is what matters. And what is practical? An obedience for the husband to love his wife as being himself and an obedience for the wife to respect her husband. Now God sets forth the ideal pattern for a Christian man and a Christian woman uh, who happen to get married. The means of obtaining a wife has changed over the years. It's different in different cultures. In some cultures, your wife is chosen for you. My mother used to tease the daylights out of me. She'd tell me she's going to choose my wife, and then she'd describe the one she was going to choose me, and I'd say, Lord, 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 don't let her choose my wife. In our, in our culture, it's always been through a mate selection process. We date 
We, we identify, hopefully, the four affinities that make for a good relationship. We identify them in the person that becomes our mate. You want, should I tell you what the affinities are? Four areas of a likeness. First is physical. You don't lose your lunch when you see this person. You're physically attracted to them. It takes on new dimensions when you're married. Second is social. Generally, you like doing the same things together. Third is uh, intellectual. You're roughly about the same intellectually. You know, it'd be real difficult for a Phi Beta Kappa to marry a girl that didn't have an eighth grade education and they'd have some real chafing points in their marriage. The fourth, and I always leave it for the last, but I think it's the most important, is spiritual. We look for these areas of a likeness, then we commit ourselves to marriage. What has characterized marriage hasn't changed. Whether your mate has been picked for you or you've chosen your own. We're called to the same thing in Christian marriage, obedience. Each mate functioning in their prescribed role, oneness. A leaving and a cleaving becoming one flesh. Selflessness, nourishing, cherishing, sacrificing. As I said earlier on, let's be real. We will not do this perfectly. But that's not the issue. The issue is, are we willing to do it at all? Are we committed to it? We can get better at it if we're committed to it. And there are, there's a lot of help for us today. When my mother and father got married, they just got married. And in many respects, they probably shouldn't have got married, gotten married. It was a rocky marriage. Ended in divorce eventually. But there's a lot of help for people getting married today, whether they're not yet married or they've been married for 20 or 30 years. There's a lot of help. And some of that help comes our way pretty soon. I want to encourage you to seriously consider going to a weekend to remember. In fact, let's watch this clip. Is that, you got that up and ready, Dennis? Let's watch this clip on a weekend to remember. Hi, I'm Dennis Rainey, president of Family Life. And I'd like to invite you to attend the upcoming Weekend to Remember in your area. Now, I know that many of you have never been to a marriage conference like this before. But what I'd like you to do is think of this weekend like the maintenance you perform from time to time on your car. Tires need to be aligned, oil change. If not, you know, you're in for trouble. Perhaps it's time to do a little marriage maintenance. The Weekend to Remember is a whole lot of fun. It's romantic and it'll equip you in the major areas of your marriage. Areas like communication, resolving conflict, understanding your role as a husband and how you can love and lead your wife and family spiritually. How you as a wife can better encourage and respect your husband. Come and experience a life-changing weekend to remember with your spouse. Your marriage is worth it. For more information on what you'll experience at the weekend, remember, and how you can register online, go to our website. Okay, for more information, consult your bulletin. There's information in your bulletin about the weekend to remember. And I need to tell you, you can go register for half price, right? If you do it by tomorrow, that tomorrow's the deadline. Now, let's say that you're just way too busy or you don't feel you have the funding. By the way, we're going to help scholarship people to this thing if you need, if you need help getting there and you feel like you need a weekend away like this, you let us know. If you can't afford it, we're going to help you get there. But that being said, maybe, uh, maybe you'd have to, maybe a shorter one would do, do you well. 
Friday night and Saturday at Annandale um, Free Church. Coming up, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a, a um, what do you call a shortened version? A, it's not really abbreviated, but you're not going for two nights. You're, going for, you're staying at home, and uh, you're driving there, and it's a one-night, uh, Friday night and a Saturday commitment of time, and it's sponsored by the same people. But do your marriage a favor. Say, well, we've been married a long time. We're happily married. There's no problem with our marriage. Talk to your mate about that. Run that by them. See how they feel about it. Any marriage I know of could use a shot in the arm. Marriage maintenance, as Dennis Rainey just said. So I want to encourage you. Let's make the most of this marriage month. Let's make the most of our marriage. Amen? Let's pray. Not too many amens there. It got real quiet in here all of a sudden. Father, we thank you today for the mate you've given us. We pray that you'd help us to make the most of our marriages. We know there's an enemy, the same enemy who's the enemy of our soul, is the enemy of anything good. Marriage is good. He's the enemy of marriage. He would rip us apart if he possibly could. We pray protection on the marriages that are part of this assembly. We pray not only protection, though. We pray development, maturation. We pray that you'd help us to make our marriage everything it can be, everything we really, in our most idealistic moments, want it to be. Help us to give our mates that companionship they so deserve and so desire. Satisfy all of us with the mate of our choice, the mate that we made a choice to, to live life with years ago. We pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.